So, Isaiah 53 is where I'm going to be starting. I'm going to pray, and then we'll launch into it this morning. So, Father, I thank you for this day. We thank you for the significance of this day, for your great love for us. And Lord, as we open up your word, as we read an account that perhaps many of us have read many times before, Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would breathe fresh life upon it today, that we would hear what you might say to us. Open our hearts and our ears, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is what it says in Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Over the last couple of years, we have no doubt become accustomed to certain statements or press announcements perhaps made by those in authority regarding health advice, Updates, restrictions, all those sorts of things. Now, I'm not sure how you responded to those statements and to those announcements. Perhaps you, perhaps you ignored them. Perhaps you hung on every word that was said. Perhaps you, if you're like me, perhaps you skimmed over kind of the peripheral detail because ultimately you wanted to know exactly what it means for you. What does it mean for me? What does it demand of me? These announcements, these statements, these changes to restrictions and things like that. What does it mean for our church gatherings? What does it mean for that family gathering we had planned? What do those statements mean and demand from us? As we come to this Good Friday, I pray that we would not just ignore or skim over the details of the cross. The details of all that Christ suffered. How he yielded to the Father's will and said, not my will, but yours be done. Instead, I pray that as we read through Luke's account, as we're about to do, as we take time to consider the cross, that we would indeed see afresh the significance of what it means for us. And indeed, we would also reflect on what the cross demands from us in response. Let's read from Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read a Fair chunk of scripture this morning, but I feel like on this day, it's appropriate for us to do that. It says, verse 1, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. 
When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he answered him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the night hour, while the sun's light faded, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. 
and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. As we read this passage slowly and deliberately, I'm struck by so many things. But what I want to spend just a few moments highlighting this morning is this great exchange that took place at Calvary. An exchange by definition is the act of giving one thing and receiving another in return. The mystery and the beauty of the cross is that we come with nothing to give. At best, we come with our mess. We come with our guilt and our sin and our brokenness and our pain and our rejection, which really is nothing much to offer. But in return, because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus, we receive everything. Now, there are certain statements throughout Luke's account of Jesus' trial and crucifixion that highlight this exchange that took place and the significance of what it means for us today. Statements that, make us, that should make us sit up and take notice, not skim through or gloss over. So the first statement that I want us to focus on, verse 4 of Luke 23, I find no guilt in this man. You see, the great exchange at Calvary means freedom from accusation, guilt, and shame. As we see Jesus being on trial, we can see many accusations being thrown at him, being leveled at him. They were, of course, false. They were lies. But we read several times throughout the passage these statements that were professing Jesus' innocence. Pontius Pilate himself said it so on three occasions, verse 4, verse 14, and verse 22. I find no guilt in this man. Herod the king also found no guilt in Jesus. Verse 15. The second criminal on the cross in that exchange, he says that you know, this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And the Roman centurion in verse 47, he praised God and he said, surely this man was innocent. So why are these proclamations of his innocence, that there was no guilt found in him, significant for us today. Well, in him, there was no guilt. He was, of course, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. But upon him, there was guilt. There was our guilt. Let's develop this a little further. I I started this morning by reading from Isaiah 53, this incredible prophetic passage detailing the suffering servant, what Jesus would come to do and how he would suffer. And it said in verse 5 of Isaiah 53 that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Upon him. What is a punishment? It's a, by definition, it's a, the infliction or imposition of a penalty as a retribution for an offense. It's given for someone who is guilty, for someone who has committed an offense and is deserved when there has been an accusation consistent with an offense. But of course, Jesus never committed any offense or anything deserving punishment. So we read in the midst of Pilate's feeble attempts to dissuade the crowd and repeatedly state Jesus' innocence, we come across this figure, Barabbas. And straight away it's clear that there is a huge contrast between the innocence of Jesus and the guilt of Barabbas. And we can read this and think, oh, he got lucky there that day. 
He got lucky. But there's more to it than that. Because for Barabbas, the accusations of needing punishment could stick. We know that he was in prison. We know that he was guilty of an insurrection, of a rebellion or an uprising that he'd been in the thick of. We know that he was guilty of murder. John's gospel tells us that he was a robber as well. The one who was guilty experienced freedom that day, the opposite of what he deserved. If we dig a little deeper, if we look at the name Barabbas, the meaning of his name, Bar meaning son of, and Abbas was this word, Aramaic term for Abba, which was an Aramaic term of endearment for father, or we might translate it daddy. So this, this man's name meant son of the father, or son of daddy, we could say. The Barabbas represents the whole human race. Because we were created by God to be his sons and daughters. A son of Abba, a daughter of Abba, father. But by virtue of being a murderer and a robber, the guilty one in this account. He was, of course, guilty of and transgressing the whole law. As it says in James chapter 2, if we're guilty of breaking one aspect of the law, we're guilty of breaking all of it. So Barabbas was guilty of murder and being a robber. But by virtue of breaking those aspects of the law, he was guilty of transgressing the whole law. Just like us. For all have sinned and fallen short. For all of us have transgressed God's law and are guilty as a result. We have nowhere to run. We have nowhere to hide. And yet, there is the cross. The true son of the father, Jesus, took the place of the one called the son of the father, representing guilty humanity, representing us. And he gave his life. We sing a song here at church from time to time. It's called The Passion. And there's some lyrics in the second verse that I love. Paints the picture of what I'm trying to bring out here this morning. It says, the innocent judged guilty while the guilty one walks free. Death would be his portion and our portion liberty. This is what happened at Calvary. In the infinite and eternal plan and purpose of God, And in the magnitude of his love expressed to us in Jesus, our guilt and our shame was upon Jesus while his innocence and his righteousness was transferred or given to us. It says in verse 25 of Luke 23, he released the guilty man, the man who had been thrown into prison for murder and insurrection. But he released Jesus, the innocent man, over to their will. What this means for us is that through Jesus we have right standing with God. That through faith in him, our guilt and our shame no longer define us. But we have been freed from that burden through the precious blood of Christ. And you know, for us today, as Jesus had many accuse him falsely, bring false accusations, so too we also have an accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Satan himself is his name. And he comes and brings all sorts of accusations, all sorts of charges against us, says guilty, guilty, yet. It's because of Jesus. 
through the great exchange that took place at Calvary that the judge, the true and righteous judge, can also say, I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in this woman. Where we stood guilty in our humanity and our sinfulness, full of shame and nowhere to hide. Where what we were deserving of was punishment through the cross, Christ offers us freedom that we can receive today. He has dealt with our guilt, the accusations, and has taken it away. What a Savior. What a Savior. Second statement that I want us to focus on this morning is found in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the great exchange at Calvary means forgiveness for our sins. It's not just the guilt that Jesus has dealt with, the accusations and all that would seek to bring condemnation. It's the issue of sin itself that has brought the guilt and the shame and all those things. As we read in Isaiah 53 earlier, it says that he bore our griefs, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that that our iniquity was laid upon him. And here is Jesus in agony of body, in agony of soul, completely innocent and sinless, yet bearing the sin and punishment due to us, the guilty. And he's praying. He's praying for those who are nailing him to the cross, asking the Father to forgive them. Knowing that Jesus was able to forgive in that moment. Surely we should be a people who release forgiveness to others when they trespass against us. It's probably a sermon for another day. But this cry of Jesus from the cross is is profound. And this word used for forgive, this word means to, to send away, to release, to permit, to depart. And So here at the cross, we see Jesus and and Luke in his gospel account. And of course, here at the cross, he portrays Jesus as as the Savior, as the one who would come to save from sin. And he's on the cross. And the people are uh, are mocking him and railing at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If you are the Savior, come down from there and show us, prove it, basically. We know that any moment Jesus could have come down from the cross. He could have called a legion of angels to his aid. But the very purpose and mission he came for was to save us from our sin. Therefore, what nailed him to the cross is the sin from which he promises to save us. It's our sin. And so in his cry, Father, forgive them. Father, send away that sin Let it depart. Where was that sin sent? It was sent upon himself. What we were deserving of was punishment and condemnation. But what Christ offers and what we can receive is forgiveness and salvation. This theology of what Jesus accomplished on the cross was echoed by Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
the very thing that separated us from God, as we saw earlier with the chuppa chups, that created a divide between us that we could do nothing to restore or make right ourselves. Jesus took upon himself so that the righteous, the demands of a holy and righteous God could be met to reconcile man and God. Father, forgive them, he cried. There is forgiveness available today. Have you received his forgiveness? Have you released his forgiveness to those around you maybe that need it? The condition is very simple. To come to him, to repent, to recognize and turn from your sin, turn towards him. Third statement I want us to notice this morning is they treated him with contempt and mocked him. Because the great exchange at Calvary means our acceptance in place of our rejection. In a number of places throughout this account that we've read, it says that Jesus was mocked, he was scoffed at, he was treated with contempt, he became a spectacle. This echoes the words of Isaiah 53 where it says he was despised and rejected by men. There was absolutely nothing at all dignified about the cross. It was a humiliating, shameful way to die. Jesus was stripped naked, stripped of any worth or dignity. He was beaten and bloodied, literally to the point where you couldn't have recognized him. People were there watching as he was hanging there, struggling for each breath. And Jesus, hanging there, had to put up with and receive and hear the taunts of the crowd. Their mocking voice, the taunting, thought you were the saviour. Surely you can save yourself. Come down from there. Duncan Smith, in his book, Consumed by Love, says that Jesus was willing for his reputation to be ruined in order to rescue us. He was willing to be rejected and forsaken so that we could be accepted. Just imagine that picture just for a moment. The eternal, perfect, holy Son of God. The King of glory who left the heights of heaven to come and to seek and save. Instead of being treated with the highest honor and reverence and glory. Was subject to the greatest humiliation and rejection. But because he bore that. Upon himself, we can know acceptance. If he went to those lengths to rescue and redeem us, can we not see how valuable we are to him? That we are beloved and accepted, that just as on the cross his arms were stretched wide, so today his arms are open wide, ready to receive us. You just need to come. You just need to bring our mess. Our nothing, our brokenness, our pain, and our rejection come to Jesus. For the first and only moment on that cross, the Father turned his face away. In Mark 15, we know that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, so we would never have to be forsaken. The promise for us in Scripture, we can see it in Hebrews 13.5 and other places as well. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
What we were deserving of was rejection. Yet through the cross, Christ embraces us and offers us acceptance. We see this in the account of the two criminals. And this, this account here is just beautiful, both beautiful and heart-wrenching all at the same time. Beautiful because it shows the extravagant mercy and grace and love of God. Accepting and receiving the repentant sinner at that very last moment of his life. You know, it's never too late to repent and turn to Christ. It's by grace that we're saved. It's through faith. It's, it's not through anything we bring ourselves. This criminal had nothing to offer, but was willing to humble himself and come to Jesus. And he was received by him. But you know, it's heart-wrenching as well, because both criminals could see Jesus there. Yet one hardened his heart and didn't respond or have any regard for Jesus. I'm not going to labor this point too much this morning, except to say that that same invitation is available to each and every man, woman, and child here today and all across the world. The offer of spending eternity with Jesus. It matters not what you've done or where you've been, only whether you will look upon Jesus, acknowledge who he truly is, repent from your own way, and turn to him. Put your faith and your trust in him. For the great exchange at Calvary truly means life instead of death. We deserve death, and we justly, just like the criminal said, but through the cross, because he died in our place, Christ offers us life, both here and now, and for eternity. So on this Good Friday, 2022, what does the cross mean for us? And I've tried this morning, imperfectly, yet sincerely, to unpack that what it means is a great and undeserved exchange, that we receive freedom from accusation, guilt, and shame, that we can receive forgiveness for our sins, that we can receive acceptance instead of rejection, and that we can receive new life instead of death. All these things Jesus has made provision for and made available to us and taken upon himself to ensure that the great exchange is possible. But you know, there's one final aspect that I want to leave us with. Because as we talk about and consider the cross, you know, it's, it's not just a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just a bit of fire insurance you know, that we might need for a, a troubled time or a rainy day. It's not a license to just, oh great, I'm, you know, I'm free, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm alive, I can live how... No. What I want to leave us with and challenge us with this morning is what does the cross, this great exchange, demand from us? Not as a, you know, obligation type thing. Not as a works type thing. Not as a behavior modification program or anything like that. What does the cross demand from us as a response? Let me try and explain just quickly with a simple illustration. Over the, over the years, I've uh, had the opportunity to, to travel interstate for various weddings and family gatherings and things. And as I've done that, each time I've hired a car so I can get around the city that I go to. And each time, what's happened is that I will book kind of the lowest uh, most affordable car, Toyota Echo, something like that. 
And every time I get there to pick up the car, they say, well, sorry, Mr. Richard, but you know, we didn't have that car available, but we've actually upgraded you. We've exchanged you for something better. Now, in that moment, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind of thinking, well, no, I want the worst model, please. I want the lesser model. I'd rather that. No, I'm thinking, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. What a blessing to receive something that's totally better than what I have deserved or paid for. But at the same time, it impacts upon the way that I will drive. I'm always careful when I'm driving. But knowing that there's a more expensive, a better car now that I have responsibility for, it actually has an impact upon the way that I will drive and treat that car. In the same way for us, seeing the cross clearly, receiving all that it means for us, it must have an impact upon how we live, on how we respond to God and how we take care of how we live in light of such mercy and grace and this gift that we don't deserve. It's like the best upgrade we could ever get. And why would we want to go back to the lesser model, the old way, if you like, when there is something far better on offer? Perhaps the best response this morning is not just information and knowledge, theology we could say, but doxology, praise. The wonderful hymn, When I Survey, I think says it best. I'll leave us with this. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In response to the cross, in response to his indescribable gift, the great exchange that took place that we have access to, that we can walk in and live in today, what else could we do but respond with our life, with our hearts, with our everything? For his glory, for his fame. Can we stand this morning? So Lord, as we finish up this precious time together, we just say thank you. We thank you and we praise you. We are so grateful, Lord, for the great exchange. Freedom, Lord, from accusation, guilt, and shame. Forgiveness for our sin. Acceptance, Lord, where we deserve rejection. And life instead of death. What a wonderful Savior you are, Lord. And Lord, as we just consider what it means for us, Lord, may we also consider and reflect on what it demands from us, Lord. Not in a forceful, you know, you've got our arm twisted behind our back kind of way, but Lord, as a response to who you are and to all that you have done, Lord Jesus. Love so amazing, love so divine demands our soul, our life, our all. May we be a people who freely and willingly lay our lives down in surrender before you. Help us with that, we pray. And as we go from here today, may we know your grace, your love, your presence with us, Lord. 
and all that's ahead of us this weekend. Would you be honored and glorified, I pray. And we look ahead to Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate, we proclaim that you are alive, that you are risen, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.